0: I'm excited to be with you today, and today we're going to start with a new sermon series called Detox. It may sound like a bit of a strange title for a sermon series, but I felt the Lord drop this word detox in my spirit this past weekend, and I wasn't quite sure, so I went and looked at the definition of the word detox. And yes, when we're talking about detoxing our bodies, the word detox means to go through a process in which one abstains from certain things, to rid the body of toxic or unhealthy, un- unhealthy substances. That's pretty simple, right? That's quite understandable. But if you look at the definition of the word detoxification, it has an interesting description. It says detoxification is the physiological removal of toxic substances from a living organism. And it was like the lights came on for me because... Over the past two weeks in Acts chapter 6 and 7, we have identified how the church itself is a living organism. It's the only spiritual organism in this world. It's the living organism of people connected to the life of God through union with Jesus Christ. We share common eternal life. We share common eternal purpose because Christ lives in us. We are a part of this living organism. We are the spiritual body of Jesus Christ, with Christ as the head of the body. And church, when you think about it, a healthy organism or a healthy body is one where detoxification takes place. And dare I say this morning that even Christians need detoxification from time to time. And church, this is not a series on how to become fit and healthy physically or detox our bodies, even though that wouldn't be a bad idea because we need to take care of ourselves physically. This series is aimed at us detoxing the body of Christ, which is you and I spiritually and emotionally so that we can be a healthy living organism connected to the body of Christ so that the body of Christ can be effective for the sake of the gospel of Christ. That's the motivation here. We need to abstain from the things that are polluting us and fill up with that Which purifies us. And as we saw in last week's message, when Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, grace, and power, he made a tremendous impact for the sake of the gospel. And, church, it's only when we remove the pollution that we can be filled with a solution. It's only when we remove the noise that we can hear the Lord's voice. And that's what this series is about. It's about removing unnecessary influences in this world created by the devil, your enemy, that corrupts our character, our thinking, and our decision-making. It's about identifying and detoxifying those things, purposefully removing them from our lives so that we can be filled with godly attributes, godly character, godly thinking, and godly authority. Because you see, church, everything in this world is designed... To corrupt and pollute your belief system about the truth and about God. And if you say to me today, you know, Pastor, I'm fine. Nothing in this world really affects me. I'm not influenced by anything or anyone's personal views, all the turmoil that's happening in the world, all the uncertainty, the rumors of wars around the world, wars that are taking place, terrorism, all the evil, I'm fine. If that's you, you're lying. (laughs) Because if you're a human and you're living in the 21st century, this world will have an impact on you. And church, more specifically, if you are a Christian, this world is out to destroy you. You have a bull's eye on your back. You see, this world wants you to conform to its ways or it will set out to destroy you. I want to put something up on the screen. It's a a quote By Bill Maher. And he says, religion must die in order for mankind to live. Bill Maher is a well-known atheist and uh, talk show host in America. And in 2008, he made a documentary that was designed to make religious people, people of faith like you and I, look like utter fools. Look at that quote again. Religion must die in order for mankind to live. This type of behavior and speech is not very different from what Karl Marx famously said in 1843. He said that religion is the opium of the people. That's the philosophy of Karl Marx, the founder of Marxism. And after Marx arrived on the scene, the followers of Karl Marx were amazed by him. They were bedazzled by him. And they began to remove all the religious teaching from the schooling system. And they outlawed criticism. Anybody who would speak against atheists or agnostics were punished. Then they, chose, then they could, uh, proceeded to burn over 100,000 churches in Russia. And so the clergy demanded religious freedom as you would imagine and because they demanded religious freedom they were sentenced to death and don't think church that this is thousands of years ago this is recent history between 1917 and 1935 over 130,000 Russian Orthodox priests were arrested and over 100,000 of them were executed by firing squads that's recent history And all these socialistic views have unfortunately crept their way into all parts of society, especially the educational system. And that's why you will find many professors in university today with their main aim in the class is to dismantle your belief system about God. It is this dismantling of our belief system by people who want to marginalize us as sheer idiots if we believe in the Bible and if we teach our children according to the Bible. And what they basically want is for you to shut up and go away. That's their agenda. They want to remove our voice from the public square. They want us to conform. Just shut up and do what we say. Conform or we're coming after you. But just to pause for a moment there, church, what does the Word of God say about conforming to this world? The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters in Christ, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, that's your starting point. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What does it say? Do not be conformed to this world. Another translation says, do not let this world squeeze you into its own mold. And church, that's the topic I want us to focus on today, detoxifying ourselves from conformity or molds that the world is trying to force and squeeze us into. And to help us do that today, we're going to look at the life of a young man by the name of Daniel. If you have your Bibles, go to Daniel chapter 1. And church, we won't have time to read and comment on the whole chapter, but we, we are going to read sections of it. Then I want to begin with the predicament that Daniel found himself in. A predicament of conformity. And to give you the long and short of it, church, Nebuchadnezzar, The king of Babylon has gained power. He's taken over the known world, the world of the Middle East. He's taken captive Jerusalem. And he has brought people with him to Babylon, including Daniel and his friends. And he is looking for servants for his palace in Babylon. That takes us into verse 4, where we read as follows. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. So church, just to fill in a couple of the gaps, a battle has just taken place one of the most famous battles in all of history. It was called the Battle of Carchemish, and it happened in 605 BC. It was where the Babylonian Empire defeated the combined armies of Assyria and Egypt. When that battle was won, Nebuchadnezzar was large and in charge. He was the kingpin, and the rest of the world was easy pickings. So he could pick off less powerful kingdoms, including the kingdom of Jerusalem. And in that same year, 605 BC, he attacked Jerusalem. He attacked them many times, but this time specifically is when Daniel was kidnapped from his home and taken 1,600 miles away to live now in the courts of the Babylonian king. Now church, Nebuchadnezzar had a four-tiered approach to get these kids ready for service in his palace. Number one, he isolated them. He took them away from their home. He took them away from their friends, their families, their temple, their worship, their religious influence, and isolated them into this new environment. The second thing that he did is he indoctrinated them. He re-educated them. Notice it says that they were taught the language and the literature of the Babylonians, and you may read that and think well that's not so bad that's free education the government's paying for that sign me up right but the goal was not just academic the goal was to reorient their way of thinking to a babylonian worldview it was a three-year program and the literature of the babylonians promoted the babylonian worldview of many gods There's not just one God like they would have learned about in Jerusalem, in Israel. There are many gods. And so their worldview was to change their, their thinking about God, about life, and about mankind. Archaeology has also shown us that the Babylonians practiced divination. They looked to the stars to predict the future, right? And they also took the livers and the insides of animals and would put it on a plate and wiggle it around a bit to somehow predict the future. All of that, Daniel and his friends would be taught in school. Basically, it was a three-year cultural indoctrination course to to get them to forget everything they learned as kids. I don't know about you, church, but that sounds to to me like a lot what's happening in our educational system today, especially at university level. So they were isolated, they were indoctrinated and the third thing that Nebuchadnezzar did was he wanted to manipulate them. In verse 5 we read that they were given a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank. Now again at first glance that doesn't sound that bad. right? They're offering free food and as a a young man you, you don't mind free food. Sign me up for that. Especially this food, right? Because if you're a Jewish kid and you're eating traditional Jewish food every day and now you're in the biggest city in the world and you're given delicacies, those are perks. At church, all these things would be used to manipulate these these young Jewish minds. And they would start thinking thoughts like, well, why should I believe in my God? First, First of all, I never ate like this in Jerusalem. Second... My God couldn't protect me from all of this. Now I'm living in the, the largest, most powerful, most beautiful city in the world. I have the world at my fingertips. Everything a young person could dream of. They were manipulated by the trappings of luxury and of power. And, church, the next thing, the fourth thing that Nebuchadnezzar did is he redesignated them. He took away from them their most personal, their most private possession, their names. And he gave them new names. It's basically social engineering. So the name Daniel, his Jewish name, is the name that means God is my judge. His new name given by Nebuchadnezzar is Belteshazzar, which means may Baal protect the king. Baal is one of the chief deities of Babylon. Hananiah meant beloved of the Lord, but his new name was Shadrach, which means illumined by Aku, the moon god. Mishael, who is like God, but the new name Meshach means who is like Aku, again the moon god. And Azariah means the Lord is my help, but he was given the name Abednego, which means servant of Nabu. All of these are pagan deities, and they had so many that they worshipped. But what I want you to notice here at church is that they are banning certain words. They are banning foreign names. And the only words allowed are the words this new culture has provided for them. Does that sound familiar to you? So that's the predicament that they were in. Now the predicament takes us to the, next, to the second phase of the story, which is the objection. Have a look at verse 8. What is the first word in that verse? But. But Daniel. See, it doesn't say and Daniel or so Daniel or therefore Daniel. It says but Daniel. So immediately we have opposition to the pressure. The pressure represented in the first seven verses is met with a but Daniel. And church, what you have here is Daniel, young teenage Daniel, making a choice. And the choice that is before him is, will I conform or will I not conform? So look at what what it says. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Church Notice that Daniel's choice began with an inward conviction, right? It says he purposed in his heart. That is, he made a choice deep inside. After soul searching, he came up with his choice, which is really good. All the isolation, all the indoctrination, all the manipulation and church, all the designation is met by Daniel's determination. You have this young teenage boy who's been abducted saying at this point, I'm not going to cross that line. He purposes in his heart not to conform. And listen, church, the power to not to conform to the culture around you always begins on the inside. And it happens when your decisions become your convictions. I'm going to say that again because this is really important. It happens when your decisions become your convictions anybody can make a choice or a decision but when those decisions and choices become your defined nature your conviction this is who i am this is different daniel had this type of conviction and the effectiveness of the rest of daniel's life depended on this very moment if he doesn't make the right choice daniel would not make the right impact The choice that he makes will determine the man that he will become every day after this day. There's an interesting quote from an old preacher named W.A. Criswell. And he said, All of life is filled with crises and decisions. There are right decisions and wrong decisions. There are high roads and low roads. And almost every day, there will be a fork in the road. Where you are today is due to the turn in the road that you took yesterday. In other words, church, you are the product of your choices. You are where you are because of the choices that you have made. And you know what? You and I still have many, many more choices to make in this life. And that's why it's so important, church, that your decisions must become your convictions. Purpose of heart. Can I get an amen? So it began with an inward conviction from Daniel, but I want you to notice something else. It included a spiritual definition. You see, Daniel doesn't see the delicacies offered him as delicacies, he sees the delicacies offered him as defilement. He didn't go, you know what, oh man, I'm a teenager and I have all the wine that I can drink and all the food that I can eat. No, he didn't see it that way. He says, It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with a wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. You see, Daniel was a, a young Jewish kid. And according to Jewish law, there were certain foods that you could eat and certain foods that you couldn't eat, right? And if it's food that you could eat, it was called kosher cuisine. The food that you can't eat is called unkosher. And it's still a practice till today. And according to Levitical laws, you certainly couldn't eat stuff that has been sacrificed to pagan gods. And the way that the Babylonians would prepare their food, they would sacrifice it. And that certainly wasn't according to kosher law. So he decides he's not going to do it. And then he says, I don't want the wine either because the wine had been poured out onto pagan altars. That was their practice. They sacrificed it to their gods first. And the idea of something that was offered to a foreign god that might give him an an altered state of consciousness, Daniel said, no, I'm not going to do it. And he called it a defilement. And again, you may think, you know what? what's the big idea what's the big deal his friends at home aren't around his parents aren't around the rabbis aren't around nobody can see daniel just do what you want to do you have all the excuses that you need and you see that's the point church daniel wasn't looking for an excuse because daniel was living with purpose and when you live with purpose in life you don't have to look for an excuse the only reason you look for an excuse in life is if you don't have a purpose to live for. Daniel had a purpose. And he's basically saying to the king and to the, the king's head of the eunuchs, "Looks, you can isolate me. You can re-educate me. Right? You can even manipulate me and redesignate me, but you cannot change me. This is who I am at the core. No matter what happens, this is who I am, and I'm not afraid of what comes to threaten that purpose of heart. Which raises the question that I want you to consider this morning. What is it that defiles you? Church, there are all all sorts of things that taint us, that pollute us, that corrupt us, that contaminate us and, and toxify us. And it may be the movies you watch or the television shows that you binge on, the social media platforms that you visit, the adult websites that you visit, the places you frequent, or the relationships that you're involved in. And church, what I'm suggesting from the scriptures is that you develop the conviction to say no so that you will have the occasion to say yes. Develop the conviction to say no to some things so that you will have the occasion and the opportunity to say yes to some things. Because when you close the door to defilement, you open the door to development. God will do something great. If you say no to certain things, the Lord will spring forth new opportunities into your path. You know, we often ask and we we pray, Lord, would you please close the doors that need to be closed and open those that need to be opened. But church, maybe we need to say no to something and close those doors ourselves and the Lord will open up a new one. Now remember, it all begins in the heart. It all begins deep inside. It begins with a belief system and a mindset that no matter where I'm at, whether I'm in Babylon or in Jerusalem, whether I'm in church or the mall of the south, God is always there. God is always listening. The camera is always on. The microphone is always on. It says in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21, For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and He examines all your paths. God is always looking. And Daniel knew that. And now he objects to the pressure of conformity. He digs his heels in. There was a line that he wouldn't cross and he made it known that he wouldn't bow down to this continual onslaught of indoctrination. Now church, it's not that he's going to change Babylon. Daniel, he's not going to change Babylon. He won't. Babylon will not change because of Daniel's ministry there. Yes, like with the king in chapter 4, Daniel's character will draw others to God, but they are going to continue in their pagan worship. They're not going to stop worshiping their false gods. They're not going to stop being corrupt. But that's not what this is about, is it? Daniel is not trying to change Babylon. That was, this wasn't about changing Babylon. This was about not letting Babylon change him. It's this cultural conformity that he refused to bow to. And I think this is really important, especially in this day and age, because, church, if you think that you're going to change the direction the world is heading in, you're going to die disappointed. The ship has sailed. And yes, there are certain things that we can and must hold on to, but it's, not, it's really not about trying to get the world system to change. It's about the church standing strong in the midst of it. Amen? Amen? The Bible speaks about the times that we're living in. We can't try and, and turn a blind eye to what's going on and hope everything's just going to blow over. We are marching toward the end times. And church, let me say that it's time for the church to refuse to conform to the culture. It's time for the church to refuse to go along with the Marxist agenda. It's time for the church to refuse letting the culture tell us how to raise our kids and to live our lives. They can live their lives anywhere they want to. They just mustn't tell us how to live our lives and how to to teach our kids. It's just all of that to say, and I sincerely sincerely believe this: we are living in a Daniel moment. We're living in that type of moment. We have unprecedented pressure all around us to conform to what the world wants us to do. So we need to pray for the same kind of wisdom that Daniel had in that moment. And I'm not calling you to be rebellious. I'm calling you to have a godly conviction in your heart to to say no to the things that are trying to force you into a certain mold. Let your convictions drive your decisions. And I know it's much easier to go with the flow in life, right? And the flow out there is is pretty strong. It's a cultural flow. It's a political flow. It is a moral flow. It's hard to go against the flow. But you know what? Any dead fish can float downstream. The easiest thing to do is to go along with what everybody thinks and tells you to do but church we are going into a season where we are going to be forced to make certain decisions we're not going to be asked we're going to be forced you either do or you don't you're either in or you're out you're either included or you're excluded by the decisions that you make and I wish I could tell you that I have all the answers to all the questions and the decisions that you have to make but I don't and I can't But what I can say, church, is don't make decisions based on the flow. Make them based on your godly convictions. God has a way of honoring and blessing and multiplying the effectiveness of principled action in His name, which to human calculation may appear futile or even pathetic. This is certainly the case with many martyrdoms in history, for example where the world would see the life of a martyr like Stephen as a wasted life. They would say he's a fool. They would say to him, just save yourself and your family and others and stop denying yourself the privilege of life or health or prosperity. But church, there's a lot to be said for a Christian that has a conviction not to conform and would rather place their trust in God, even if it means losing their reputation even if it means losing their life. and church, my point is that God is God. He honors integrity and principled action rooted in His truth and His beauty and His worth, even where the world cannot see the point. We have no idea what explosive effects in the depths of God's providence and purposes our principled action might unleash by God's grace. In church, we have to detoxify or detox our mind from conformity because if you don't, this world's gonna help you lose your mind. There's so many voices out there. There's so many voices out there that are toxifying our minds and, and polluting our minds. And I want to say to you today quieten those voices, abstain from those voices. Remember, the definition of the word detox means to go through a process in which one abstains from certain things to rid the body of toxic or unhealthy substances. So if you want to rid the mind of all the toxic noise and opinion out there, abstain from them. And then go to the real source of the truth, the Word of God. Right? Do do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Spend time daily in the presence of your Lord and Savior and you will get the the answers that you need. Lay those scenarios and questions before Him and He will direct your path. Church, God is not a man that He should lie. And let me tell you something, God is not confused. He will direct you. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 6 says, Seek His will in all you do. And He will show you which path to take. The world will try to lead you along a different path, a path that many will take. But seek the Lord for His guidance, seek the Lord for His will, and He will direct you along the best pathway for your life. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to thank you for your word this morning that never leaves us the same, but brings change and transformation. Lord, as we've heard your word today, we ask that you would detoxify our minds from the defilement and pollution that we are constantly being bombarded with. And we ask that you would develop in us the discipline to be transformed daily by the renewing of our minds. Lord, we acknowledge today that all the answers and all the truth that we're looking for are found in you and only you. Guide us along the best pathway for our lives as we submit our thoughts and our ways to you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' glorious name and all God's people said.